Yes. Yay. Now everybody can hear. Okay. Um, well, yeah, I was going to say, it's speaking about fear, it's one thing to get in front of people and uh, have to open the Bible. So I thought the best way for it to start um, is just to pray. So, um, Lord, we do come to you with... Um, I just come before you because we, we want to be more like Christ. We want this morning for him to be lifted up in all of our hearts. And I know my own weaknesses, my inability to um, perfectly communicate, my inability to perfectly exalt Christ. And so we ask your spirit can be here with me, with us, that um, we might behold something more of how wonderful and good and great um, of a Savior he is and that your people can be edified and built up and be more like Christ. Amen. Amen. So I was, uh, I was thinking last night, um, you know, one sort of thing we were having is, you know, I guess being scared in the dark. And I was, I was kind of thinking more of that. Um, it's a little bit of a cliche, you know, being afraid in the dark. But if you think about it, it's something we really never grow out of. Um, I'm kind of somewhat stepping in the category of the cultural fear of things that are going on all around us. And as you think about everything going on, it's somewhat similar to being in the dark. We're, at least, you know, my perception, we're somewhere in a place where it's dark. We can't really see what's going on. And our natural senses and our trust, the things that we're comfortable with have been shaken. And so there's this rise of fear within us because we're used to living in a, a certain way where it's comfortable and, and a lot of times it's easy, but as things have gotten harder, it feels more like we're walking in the dark and we have to, you know, not, that, not that's an unusual thing for a Christian. We, we walk by faith and we do not walk by sight. So that's kind of one of the things I wanted to hit on this morning is being able to walk more by faith in God, his word, his promises, his truth, as opposed to how we're feeling. Um, and in kind of, you could kind of, particularly over the last two years, I know in my own life, it seemed like the temperature has kind of gotten turned up on Christians where there's all these different things where we used to be kind of fine and comfortable, but now, at least in myself and others I've heard from, is there's a little bit more fear in me than we used to have. And it's not that, you know, we're experiencing traumatic persecution as if we're going to all die and there's people dying, but for us who've lived so comfortably in our life, it's the only sort of persecution that we've known, and I know in myself, a weakness, a fear, I'm, I'm tempted to, to be more afraid. I'm tempted to doubt. I'm tempted to live in anxiety. And just things you could think about that are going on, like recently, you know, churches and pro-life centers have been vandalized. There's a constant public rejection of God-given genders. To believe in the Bible and present biblical Bible or, uh, biblical values can label you racist. There's now a risk of job loss and being canceled if you talk or think like a Christian in public. And two years ago, churches across the country were declared non-essential and things like liquor stores, casino, etc. Were, were not. And so I think we're perceiving if you know, we're awake and knowing what's going on, there's, there's good reason for us who are so used to being comfortable in this world to now all of a sudden have a temptation to fear. That's kind of how I wanted to introduce it. So just talk about fear a little bit. Then I want to bring two texts that might help us out. And so uh, John Flavel, who was a Puritan, wrote a really neat book on fear. Um, he, there's way too much to kind of present here, but just to distill it down, he talks about a sinful fear. And this is his quote. It's, it's very helpful, at least it was for me. 
The sinfulness of fear consists in its power to dis dispose and incline people to use sinful means to escape danger, and it casts them into the hands of temptation. As it says in Proverbs, the fear of man brings a snare. So in other words, when we're faced with a fear or anxiety, there's a temptation in us to violate God's word to escape it. And a very simple example of that could be, you know, you got the kid who's got chocolate all over his hands and his face and he's is like, okay, did you eat the chocolate bar? And he's thinking, if I tell the truth, something bad is going to happen. But it's very obvious to the parent that, well, I know what you did. And so the kid is going to sin to try to escape what he believes to be ill. And I think that's the same temptation for us when we're in a public situation and there's a conversation about some social issue here, some social issue there, it's going around the room and it finally comes to you. There's a fear inside of you that rises up and you, you don't wanna be faithful at that moment. There's a temptation, a, a sinful temptation to back down, to be quiet, to be passive and to not give in. We, we often don't want to be confronted. We just want um, to live our nice little quiet, happy life and not worry. But if we're going to be faithful to God, if we're going to, to be true, we shouldn't be afraid when those moments happen, or if we are, to obey God even when we are most afraid. And if you think about fear in general, there's, there's a lot of fear that happens. If somebody can make you afraid, they can control you. If they can control you in that moment and make you afraid, they can shut you down. They can make you quiet. They can intimidate you and gets you to act in non-Christian ways very easily. And I mean, very practically, like you get all sorts of junk mail. Like I got one the other day, it was a you know, bright pink envelope. And it looks like if you don't pay attention to this, you're probably gonna go to jail or you're gonna lose your house or something. They're using fear to try to get me to do something. I don't even, you know, I just throw it in the garbage because I, I kind of get that this is a lie, this is a joke, and there's not actually anything to be afraid of. And so another thing to consider as we're afraid, that's revealing certain truths about us, about things that we value. So for you know, example, if I value the praise of men more than the praise of God, and that praise of men is gonna be threatened in a situation where there's this cultural conflict, I'm gonna be tempted to compromise. But if I don't really value man more than God, I'm not gonna worry even if people reject me and if all sorts of bad things happen against me, because I value God's praise far more than man's praise. And so that's kind of just an introduction of things I want to talk about. And we're going to be in uh, two different texts. And the first is going to be in uh, John 15. If you guys want to turn there, John 15. We'll read verses 18 to 21. <clears throat> if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before I hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. So kind of going back to that example in the dark, if, you know, if kids, so if it gets dark tonight and you do, what do I do? I can't see. First thing you can kind of recognize is that, okay, you're not lost. You're not just planted somewhere in the middle of the forest. 
you're very close to a familiar place. And I think for us adults, we can kind of draw a quick parallel to that is to realize that if we find ourselves in a situation that we're not familiar, we can't see what's going on. This text is helpful for me because this says, no, 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 I'm not lost. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. If I see the persecution is turning up and then I see Jesus says persecution is going to happen. I say, okay, th this isn't a strange thing that's happened to me like Peter talks about. This is an unusual thing that the world is hating me. Jesus is telling his disciples, they're going to hate you. Do you know why? Because they hated me. And you could think about the early church. I mean, the early church was birthed out of persecution. It doesn't seem like you can flip to a page in Acts and there's not somebody who's trying to throw a stone, an insult or something and trying to get somebody killed. And even after the book of Acts ends, it's not like things get rosy and, you know, the persecution dies down. It's century after century of bloody execution and uh, throwing Christians to lion's den. So it's not something that went away. It is, it is how um, the Christian church was, was birthed. And you can even think, um, you know, almost any period in church history, you have the Reformation, Luther having to stand before, you know, the Diet of Worms and having to say that he's going to stand alone on the word of God, believing wholeheartedly that he's going to give his life for such a belief. And so persecution is not a strange phenomenon to Christianity. One of our problems is we're just so used to being comfortable that when a persecution or something, persecution light, if you want to call it, confronts us, we get scared because we think this is a strange thing. We think this is an unusual thing and we're not too sure how to handle it. And so we want to give in to doubts and anxieties, but not realizing that, no, no, we're not lost in the dark. We might be in the dark, but we still have God's word. And it says, you're not lost. You're right where you're supposed to be. So we can take heart knowing this isn't something bad that's happened. I mean, so often in our mind, we think, if something bad has happened, this is because I've done something bad or this is a situation that I need to change. And maybe give an example, you know, Christians don't play poker, but if they did, they might know how the game works where, you know, uh, Texas Hold'em, if you if you believe you have a good hand, you'll go, you know, all in. I think I got the best hand here, so I'm gonna shove all of my chips into the center. And then you just kind of see, okay, did I have the best hand? You kind of see, you compare and everything else. But for a Christian, we go all in on the word of God. We don't something we're going to believe, just kind of hope that this is the best decision. This is the best decision to trust in God's word. There should be zero doubt in your mind whether or not you're going to stand on God's word no matter what comes. You stand on God's word. You shove all your chips in, so to speak, and you let the consequences come what may. If it's persecution, if it's hatred, if it's you lose a job, you lose a friend, whatever it is, if you lose it, you made the best decision, you honored God, and that's all that matters. You have peace knowing if it hurts, I honored God in my decision. And then you rest in that. And so that's our, our first point. Second point that I want to um, call out to attention is just that there is a temptation there to bend. It's why, why is Jesus telling his disciples? He's trying to fortify them, knowing that persecution will come. He wants to strengthen them. I mean, you kind of think about temptation is you, you want to bend. It's easier to not have to deal with the consequences. You might, you might think of Daniel's three friends. Wouldn't it have just been a whole lot easier just to bow down? Wouldn't it have been a whole lot, just like save yourself the trouble. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, you know what you really believe in your heart. Just bow down and go along with the crowd. It's not that big of a deal, but it, but it was to them. Or what about to Daniel? Wouldn't it have been a not that big of a deal just to not pray for a few days? So 
the temptation was there for them, no doubt, just to give in and do what they thought would have been easier, but they didn't do it. They decided, I'm gonna stand on God, his word and his truth, and if it costs me my life, so be it. They didn't know that they're gonna go into this fiery furnace and God was gonna save them. Daniel didn't know when he was going down the lion's den, God was gonna shut them out. He had no idea, they didn't know. They just decided to trust God, and if it meant their death, it meant their death, because they valued pleasing God far more than they would please man. So come what may, whatever persecution comes, we do want to seek to honor Christ with our lives. And it's not that we want to have the pain or we, we somehow are sadistic and want to be mutilated. No, it's we, we just understand that this is the world that we live in. It's, you know, Jesus talks about sending his 12 apostles, you know, uh, sheep among wolves. This is the world we live in. It's kind of like if we expect we're going to a bunny petting zoo and all of a sudden we're dropped into a lion's den, we'll be a little bit ajar, like, well, this, this isn't certainly what I thought. And sometimes we can have a misunderstanding of what we think we're getting ourselves in for. So the temptation, if you decide beforehand in your mind what you're gonna do in those situations, the temptation will be lessened to yield if you've made up your, your mind beforehand. So, and then kind of the last point um, with this text is uh, verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. And so one of the things I think is so hard that we're so used to is we like people to like us. We like people to, to praise us. I mean, that's not necessarily a bad thing. If people say, oh, you, you know, you're doing a great job at your work, you're a funny person, you're a nice person. Those things aren't bad, but we're so used to our daily lives just being comfortable and peaceable with people. It, it's, un, it's unusual for us, it's uncomfortable. And so we, what we kind of see in our day is almost if there's a shifting of sides, a greater dividing of people where you used to be able to be friends with people who may not believe in God, it seems like there's a greater divide, a, a greater weight that's happening on people who trust in God and his principles. And kind of the, for me, the rub in my mind as I'm thinking it through is we're supposed to love men and we're supposed to love God, but oftentimes it seems like they, they collide where the loving of the man is you want to do what pleases people, but you realize that I can't give you this, this affirmation. I can't speak a lie to you. I can't do those things, even though that's going to upset you. And normally in our minds, you know, doing what pleases people is, is part of being a Christian. And we have to carve out this exception. We, we cannot bend for the truth, even if it damages relationships. It's not that we go boldly and I'm gonna wreck relationships now that I'm a Christian and all these things, but we seek to love the person and reason with them with the scriptures to declare, I can't, I can't give up God's word and his truth because this is the only certainty I have in life. I love you. I don't. I think you're a great person and all these things, but not being able to affirm certain truths. And so, yeah, another good verse kind of on this thought is James 4, 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And at some point when we're befriending the world, there is a compromise that has that happens where we're no longer walking with God, but we're instead walking with the world. And we have to examine our hearts. Are there things that we do where we're willing to compromise with the world, where they're willing to be friends with the world because there's a part of us 
that's afraid if we don't get that acceptance or whatever that is that we get from the world that we think is so important, but at the end is just inferior. And so our next um, scripture we're gonna talk about is, is Romans 8 and kind of this one going back to being afraid of the dark. Kids, if you get lost, you know, you have to remember that your parents love you, that people love you, they care about you. And you might get lost and you think, oh no, what should I do? And then you see the temptation to fear and to panic and to cry, but your parents love you and your parents will find you and your parents will take care of you. And so for you know us as, as Christians, if you find yourself in persecution and suffering, do not forget that God loves you. Do not forget that he is still for you. Do not forget that he sent his son to die for you. If you forgive that, I could see the temptation to fear to flood your mind and doubts and anxieties can certainly come. So kind of the, I guess this is the easy, easiest text. It's almost kind of like pushing a rock down a hill. Just it's, it's such an amazing passage, Romans 8. We're gonna read um, verse uh, 31 through 35. And I was, I was listening to Dean Orr's sermon uh, on this passage just because it's so amazing. It's almost just like he just rolled out a red carpet. It's just so many wonderful things that happen in this, this passage. Um, but particularly the, the thing I want to focus in on is verse 35 where he talks about all these different struggles or temptations or sufferings that are happening. But in the midst of it all, there is still this grounding, this cementing, this demonstration of God's love. So we read uh, uh, verse 31 and following. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that was raised and is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, danger, or sword? And so you just think like, you know, what, what an amazing passage this is and you know, all the rest of uh, Romans. And this is like, you know, a black and white deed, will, a ticket to heaven. Um, and it's just it's such good truths in here. I often think, I know I struggle a lot with worries and fears and doubts much of 21 and I had I meditated more on a passage like this in scripture as much as you just try to figure out what's going on wrong with the world how much more joy would I have had during that season rather than you know are you going to fill your mind with things that cause worry fear and doubt or are you going to fill your mind with truths that strengthen we're, we're weak people we need to be rebuilt with God's word we can't simply just live on a measly diet of a verse or two and think that we, we need to be nourished by God's word. We need to be strengthened by it because we forget, we get dull, we need to be refreshed. Every day we have to go to God's word and be strengthened. We're not like people who can eat, you know, go on a, a binge fast for a day and not eat for a month. It doesn't work that way. We need slow, small, nourishing meals to strengthen us. And so in this passage, I wanna draw out two points. And the first is how much do you value and delight and treasure your salvation. I mean, if you think about the things that really matter in your life, you might have great friends, wonderful family, might have houses, cars, gadgets, trinkets, toys, riches, friends, all, all these different things, but how important are they really when you die? When it comes to the end of your life, when the clock is running out, when you're about to leave your life 
here on earth and step faith and step into eternity, what do those things really matter when you are about to meet God? You might think, what do those things do to help you get there? You know, are there, there's only one person, or I should say that God is the only person who will see to it that your salvation will be fully accomplished. It is God who's constantly working in your sanctification. It's God who's constantly changing you, making you more like Christ. He has caused you to be born again. He's causing you to walk in his truth. There's no person in the entire universe who cares for you as much as God does. And so if the salvation in your trust in God is not your greatest thing, other things can rise up with you and loosen your faith, your hope, your trust in God and the salvation that he's bringing. So second, particularly verses, verse 35 is Paul is asking, what is going to separate you from the love of God? And it's, it's a great question and there, you can't really give him a good answer. I mean, you could say if all the armies should march in the entire world to separate you from the love of God, they could no more prevail than a water pistol trying to extinguish a volcano. What can separate you from the love of God? I mean, think about think of all the difficulties that could come. Is it, you know, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness? Will something like that separate you from God's love? Will God somehow see that you're now suffering, or you're you're somehow in a situation, and God now, you know, I'm I'm done with him. That's it, game over. He's he's too lost. Or is your sin so great? Do you find in yourself sin, and you think, well, no, God won't love me anymore. There, there's something that I've done, and now He's going to cast you off. Is that? Is that how God works? He's asking the question, what shall separate you from the love of God? You think, okay, what, what more evidence has God given than his own son, right? Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? So you understand that he, God the Father gave his son on your behalf when you were a sinner, dead in your trespasses and sins. There was nothing in you to excite God's grace. It says, you know what? This guy has said so many prayers. He's done so many good deeds. He's helped so many people cross the sidewalk that I'm, I'm now going to save them. They have now earned my favor. No, when God saw us, when God saved us, there was nothing in us where God was drawn to that, toward us. You know, Romans 5, 8, it was God loved us you know, while we were his enemies. If God loved us while we were his enemies, how much more now that we're adopted children? What what could we do that would God is now, okay, I'm, I'm done with you. He loved you when you were already at your worst. Now he's brought you and he's cleaned you up. He's washed you. Is there something that could now happen that you could do or could happen to you where you are now severed from that love? That love is now dried up. It's a reservoir there, a lake that's gone. No, God's love is infinite. It's like Noah's flood where it's constantly coming down and just overwhelming us in such a way we will not totally understand the depths of God's love now or even in the life to come. I think it is so great, so unfathomable that it's, we could just continue to read this verse and preach this verse and we still won't get it in our heads because we're so weak, we're so frail that when something that happens that we're afraid of, we doubt, we worry and we think, God, do you really love me? And it could be, maybe you're having a hard day parenting, maybe you're having a hard day at work and you wonder, God, do you really love me? Would this happen? Would a God who loves me allow this to happen in my life? There must be something or maybe God doesn't love me anymore. And it's no, we look to Christ, we look to Calvary, remember what he has done. We look to his words, we stand on this promise. 
We might be afraid. We might have anxieties, but we push those down. We step on those with God's word and his promises, knowing that our, we are eternally secure, that nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing. You might look at the world and all the talk and people want to scare you. They want you to rip God. They want to rip God's word out of your hands so you don't believe it. So it's not important that you do what they want. But we, we can be bold. We can be confident. We can be strong. We know God loves us. We can look to Christ. There's so many great truths that we have in this word that if we look and we medicate, there is no reason for us to be afraid. What do you have to be afraid of when the God of the universe who created everything is for you? What can come against you? Is it the devil? Is it his lies? No, it cannot be. Is it mean people? Is it mean teachers? Is it whatever it may be? Nothing can separate you from God. You look at this you look at this passage, this is incredible. He's, Paul doesn't even know what to say. He's just trying to find something to say to convince us that God's love is so great, so real, that nothing can ever possibly separate you from it. So you can't give in to fear because of how much God loves you and cares for you. Would he ever do anything to harm you in an eternal way where he's casting you off? No, you know God loves you. He's going to take care of you. And so... For me, that's that's the greatest thing. When I, I get worried, I get afraid, and I'm tempted to doubt of what's going on. God didn't fall off of his throne and fall into a pit of mud and get stuck and somehow be unable to help us. No, God loves us, and there's nothing that, that can separate us um, from God's love. And so... <clears throat> um, pro yeah, I guess this is kind of the connecting verse, 1 John 4, 18, and... Uh, Graham mentioned it yesterday. He kind of took all the good verses. Um, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So and really it just kind of comes down to, do you really believe everything the Bible says about how much he actually loves, loves you? I mean, looking, looking back at church history, you look at all the the different people of all the different things that they have done throughout history and it's incredible to take you know one man like martin luther and stand before the entire you know german country at that time and him genuinely believe he's going to die it takes that takes a great understanding of god's love to be able to do that for men to risk their entire lives on god's truth you have to know there, there, there's, there can't be any fear. What, what do you have to lose when people come after you? Is it really more important than your salvation? Is it really more important than your soul? And there's just there's lots of um, examples. I feel like I go on, but one thing I <clears throat> I do just want to talk about is a fear of an unbeliever. And I know we're talking about fear. And if you're not a believer here this morning, <clears throat> excuse me. All I can say is you have nothing but fear. How do you escape fear when God is not for you, but he's against you? And it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. What, what will you do to escape God on that judgment day? I mean, all these promises, all these things we just glanced at, they don't apply to you. You are cut off from God's love. There is no hope of relieving your fear. The only thing you have to look forward to is fear, a fearful expectation of a coming judgment. Because God is good, God will punish sin. And because we've sinned, God will punish sinners. And there's no shelter from God's wrath outside of Christ. And that's why we as believers can have such good hope is all those 
fears, those are, those are all erased. But for the unbeliever, you can't escape that. You can't escape it when you put your head on the pillow. You can't escape that even if you go to, to church, even if you do good things. If your faith is not resting in Christ and what he has done for you, all you have is, is fear. You don't have hope. You have the, the hope of fear, which sounds like a contradiction. And so know that God did love you and sent his son into the world, that he could erase the fear from your heart, that there's no longer needs to be enmity between us and God, that it, we can be reconciled, that all that fear is blown away, that we can be adopted as his sons and his children. And so that, that's, that's the good news of the gospel, and that fear doesn't need to be there if, if you're really not uh, trusting Christ. And so in conclusion, um, we remember God's promises. We walk by faith and not by sight. As things continue to go crazy in our culture, and every indication says that they will, we need to be more in our Bible. We need to be more meditating on scriptures. Fears will continue to come. And how are you going to extinguish them? What are you going to do with them? Are you going to yield in them and then sin? Or are you going to stand strong with all these men and women of Christian history who have risked and given their lives, given everything for the cause of Christ? Now, going back to walking in the dark, it, it is we are tempted to be afraid, but we have to remember what is true in those moments. I mean, it's not a fun thing. We had one of my kids got their knee because they were running in the dark. You can't see what's going on. And it's, it's quite dangerous. And this world is not friendly. That's why we need to remember the promises of God and not do things that are risky or foolish, but, but to trust in God. And remember how much God has already done for you in his son, Jesus Christ, that we are supremely and eternally loved. Uh, let's pray father god we thank you for your word we thank you for your truth and we pray that uh, this the truth of your love can resonate in your people's hearts and they would not doubt they would not have fear anxiety or worry about your love for them or about anything that will go on in this world and lord we uh, we thank you and we um we're just joyful that we can rest our feet on your firm truth amen <laughs>